I do think it's important to consider as you're expanding your DC footprint, looking at different shipping options, one of the choices you're gonna to have to make is, okay, we wanna be able to ship more quickly to customers in a given region. I have a retail store in that region. I could build a new distribution center that I own, or I could use kind of another option, which might be like a 3PL, a third-party logistics company that'll warehouse this stuff for me. There are benefits and there's trade-offs to each of those approaches. And so I think it's really important for companies to go into that decision eyes open, particularly with the store shipping option about what the costs are. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Supply chain has been a hot button topic, not just in the retail media, but in the mainstream media as well. It's pretty obvious why. We as consumers are continuing to buy, and there is a slew of issues with our supply chain, whether it be access to materials we're actually getting the product from point A to point B. It's an interesting time to see all of these issues emerge, largely because we're seeing omni-channel fulfillment services really evolve and explode. It's a fascinating time of innovation, but also a time of very significant challenges for retailers and their vendor partners and the brands that they do business with. To break down all of the complexity, all of the new developments that are happening, I sat down with Josh Bartel, who is CEO of Hydrian. And Hydrian largely works with companies that are not mom and pops, they're larger businesses in the process of scaling but they can either be online-only companies or omni-channel companies. So he has a great take on what's happening in the space, the challenges that these retailers are facing, and most of all, and I think this is where you all will get some benefit, the strategic questions and the tactical considerations for all things supply chain and fulfillment. If you're at that point where you're wanting to take a closer look at your omni-channel strategy and your fulfillment practices, this conversation is a great place to start. Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. I'm happy to do, Alicia. So you're the co-founder and CEO of Hydrian. Tell us about the company and most of all, what inspired you to start it? I love a good founding story. <laughs> sure. So Hydrian's been around since I guess it started in 2013. And really we were trying to solve a problem that I experienced as an entrepreneur. I was running a small e-commerce business. And in terms of just managing my inventory and purchasing, there really wasn't anything out there that sort of filled the gap between like running it in Excel and QuickBooks and sort of taking that next step. Next step was kind of like going to something built by Oracle or SAP, which was obviously far out of my reach. So my co-founder, uh, David Radicek and I started to kind of just ideate around this, this business that, you know, hey, there's a need here to run inventory more efficiently. It's going to free up capital for people to use to grow their business. It's going to increase sales by being in stock more often. And it kind of started out as this, this software exclusive idea. But as we started working with early clients in the Atlanta area where the business was founded, we learned pretty fast these guys and girls wanted 
the answer. They wanted to get better inventory results without having to have a new dashboard to log into, a new system to learn, a bunch of training for their team. And that's how we sort of fell into this optimization as a service model where it's sort of a mix of consulting and software with the goal of getting the right inventory in the right place at the right time. So that's sort of how we got to where we are today. Optimization as a service, very interesting. So to the end, I mean, how would you define your target audience or your target customer? Is it largely folks that were in the same boat as you that were not quite that large enterprise level, but were growing and scaling and just needed something a bit more robust? Yeah, I think probably the mom and pop business selling on Amazon or not holding their own inventory is probably a little a little bit too small to, for us to really be helpful. But as soon as someone kind of owns their own inventory in their own facility, then they're probably at a point where the juice gets to be worth the squeeze in terms of, hey, if we can make some better inventory decisions, it's actually going to free up some cash to the extent that it's going to make an impact on your business, or we can increase sales in a way that's actually going to be meaningful to the bottom line. That's kind of the market we're going for. And then in terms of the type of companies, it's, it's a very broad mix of people who are exclusively online retailers and don't have a storefront at all, all the way to people who have a multi-distribution center and environment servicing literally hundreds of, of physical retail locations. So as long as you're, you're selling something that is, I'd say that the markets where we've been less successful are probably the markets where it's sort of a one and done. So I think of like apparel as being a classic example where if you buy 5,000 dresses, you're going to sell 5,000 dresses. It's just a matter of what cost and you don't have a chance to rebuy them. So those industries probably aren't a great fit for us. But if you're rebuying the same types of products again and again, usually that's a place where, where we can help. Got it. Got it. No, and, and the reason why I ask is because obviously on a broader scale, you know, in our coverage, even on this podcast, we've been talking about a lot of the issues around supply chain, inventory management, fulfillment experience. I mean, all of these things that, you know, we've largely considered quote unquote backend issues have come into the spotlight because they have had such a profound impact on not just the customer experience with a specific brand or retailer, but just you know the overall buying journey, right? Demand patterns are upside down, channel usage is changing, commerce behaviors are changing. There are so many factors and it all kind of trickles together into supply chain and logistics, which I think is has been so fascinating to see as someone who anytime that they would have to cover supply chain, they'd be like, ooh. <laughs> um, and and I love to hear from you because obviously you have the firsthand experience of being on the brand side, but now you're providing solutions to these companies. We could talk about all of the issues. That'll probably be like an eight-hour podcast. But I mean, what's really top of mind for your retail clients and contacts right now? Like what's really keeping them up at night? Sure. Yeah. I think it has been really interesting and it's it's been great to hear people. It sounds like you might be one of them who don't come from a supply chain background. You know, when I listen to like NPR on the drive home, I hear Kai Rizdal talking about supply chain probably four times a week, which I, I have to admit has been great for our business to just build awareness around the topic. In terms of what our clients are most concerned about. So I think we are seeing some evidence that inventory availability issues are starting to get better. So the examples, I think every consumer has experienced, you know, trying to buy like an appliance, like a washing machine, for example, has been pretty impossible. There is starting to be some availability and things that have been on back order for months and months and months are starting to become available. But what we continue to see are extended lead times. And so in our mind, what that means is that we need to understand there's this pipeline of inventory coming into our business, and that pipeline has gotten a lot longer 
during the pandemic. And we need to make sure we filled that pipeline with inventory. And I'd say most companies we interact with have gotten there and have put more inventory on order so that when this stuff finally comes out of the pipeline and shows up in your warehouse, you have the right amount on hand. I think the biggest concern right now has sort of shifted, certainly in our minds, to be one of, some people would call it a bullwhip effect, but our belief is that lead times will improve only when demand returns to normal. And in many industries, demand is still highly elevated from pre-pandemic levels. But none of the manufacturers, or very few of them, are actually investing in the type of capital projects like building new factories that it would take to alleviate that long lead time that we've been seeing. And of course, we know there's still the logistic issues around getting shipping containers and shipping capacity. There aren't a lot of new boats coming online. And I think it's because the world realizes this is temporary. Eventually, demand will return to normal. And so when it does, all this stuff that you've had on order for so long all these shipping delays and container availability issues, all that kind of goes away. And this huge pipeline full of inventory potentially all arrives at your business. And if demand is falling, it's probably arriving right at the time you don't need it. One of our predictions is that, and I wouldn't have this job, I'd be making a lot more money in finance or economics or something if I, if I knew when that was going to happen. But when it does happen, and it eventually will happen, whether it's months from now or potentially years from now, we are going to see businesses going bankrupt because they've taken on a glut of inventory and weren't reactive enough in managing that sort of stuff that's tied up in the supply chain. And so that avoiding that problem is going to require, first of all, understanding as when lead times are changing, when demand is changing, reacting quickly, and most of all, working with your vendors that inventory is coming from. Especially if you have a long supply chain that has an import component, you might have four, five, six open purchase orders for the same product that takes four, five, six, nine months to arrive. Well, you need to be in communication with your vendor and say, hey, look, my demand situation has changed. If this stuff isn't on the water yet, I need you to you know, cancel this PO or push this PO out. So that's really where our concern is focused is if as the landscape shifts, both on the lead time and the demand side, let's help our clients react quickly and let's make sure that clients are working closely with vendors to avoid major inventory problems, in this case, probably an inventory overage. And that's where I'd recommend people be focused right now is, is sort of developing the tools that are going to let you keep a close eye on those things. Got it. So it seems like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the media worlds, maybe in some cases, the retail community, it seems like we're focusing on a very specific talking point or topic within this big supply chain umbrella, so to speak. But it seems like what, what you're discussing, so the friction between demand and, and lead times and that bullwhip effect, I personally haven't heard a lot about that. So do you think that there's going to be a tipping point where like the conversation is going to shift? Or is it just a case where you think it needs to shift before it becomes a more significant issue down the line? Yeah, I think there will be a shift in the conversation. And it's probably, frankly, it's not going to happen until until we do start to see demand and lead times returning to normal. And like I said, on the lead time side in particular, there's some evidence of that, but definitely still seeing very extended lead times. And the right answer is still to have a heck of a lot of product on order so that you have the right amount on the shelf when it finally arrives. I think that shift in conversation is, is probably going to be happening 
it's going to be too late when it finally does start to happen. That's why we, <laughs> right. Rec- yeah, right. <laughs> so that's, that's why we recommend that people develop capabilities around this and the, the vendor relation side of things. There are so many benefits to having strong relationships with, with your vendors, with the manufacturers of the products that you sell. It's always worth investing in those relationships. And if you develop the practices now to, for example, talk about how do I shift a delivery date of a purchase order I placed with you a couple of months ago? What's the last date I can do that? Is it after something 60 days old, 90 days old? If you start to establish those practices, when you do hit that moment of crisis or uh, where quick action is required, you have the relationships, you know who to pick up the phone and call at the manufacturer to change a production date, for example. So making those investments is the kind of thing that it's not a huge investment. It's nothing compared to you know replacing a major system or anything like that. And it pays dividends even before we enter that kind of urgent crisis kind of moment that, that could potentially arise. Got it. I'm glad you brought up the relationship and the alignment side of things because I do want to get into that. But first, I want to make sure I fully understand the implications that that come with what we're talking about right now. Because my coverage, my expertise is largely on the customer facing side of things, right? Like ultimately what the customer experiences, how it impacts their sentiment, their loyalty to the brand. Because again, we kind of talked about that connecting point. So how does this all kind of trickle down? How does this impact, say, store operations, store experience, the delivery experience? Like, I feel like there's always that domino effect. So I'd love for you to kind of break that down for me, um, just so I fully understand. Yeah. And that's something we always try and do with our clients too, is help them understand, hey, the supply chain issues we're talking about are absolutely customer service issues and sales growth issues. So for example, if you don't have product on the shelf, you're going to sell less of it. People buy less when things are out of stock. And in some cases, you may not even allow customers to purchase from you when something's out of stock. So absolutely, this the lead time issues we've been seeing, particularly if we haven't put enough inventory into the pipeline or we can't because of availability with the manufacturer, if you don't have it, you're selling less. And that obviously affects your top line. Lost sales are absolutely a direct and very easy to grasp kind of impact of supply chain issues. And so what can we do to mitigate that? Well, obviously getting our optimizing our purchasing so that if we can get the inventory, it's just a matter of it taking long to arrive. Obviously, we want to focus on purchasing the right quantities at the right time so that we can get the right amount on the shelf. Customers come in and when they enter our retail location or when they come to our website, the stuff's in stock and ready to ship. I think that a lot of companies, you mentioned delivery speed. Absolutely. Delivery speed is such an important part of being competitive in any situation where you know the customer is not coming into a retail location, um, and, and sometimes even when they are. And delivery speed, I think a lot of people are so focused on what I'll call transit time. So once it leaves my distribution center or my maybe my retail facility, if I ship from store, how long did it take to get to the customer? How many of my customers are in a one-day zone, two-day zone, three-day zone or above from my location? absolutely a critical thing to be watching and something you want to improve. But if you don't have the stock in the first place and customers, okay, great. This year we added a new DC or we did ship from store and it's enabling us to reach 10% of our customers with two day service that used to get three day service. Well, that's awesome. But if 20% of your stuff is out of stock when people actually want to buy it and those customers are waiting one, two, three weeks for the inventory to arrive on the shelf before it ships out, you really have an availability problem and an inventory problem that's much more urgent than your delivery problem. So I think that the part of delivery speed that is dependent on having the inventory in place and avoiding back orders whenever possible is something that I think a lot of companies miss in this drive towards expanding your shipping footprint by enabling stores to ship or by adding DCs. Very interesting. So quick 
follow-up question to that. You know, since we're talking about this tug of war between the need for speed, so to speak, and the availability issue, because it's all about alignment on expectations, I feel like. More and more, I've kind of been seeing this I don't want to say marketing messaging, but it's like you can opt into longer shipping times or like not getting the item as fast and it can go towards like a credit or you can get some sort of perk. Do you think that's like a viable way to address it or incent consumers to maybe rethink the speed side of things? And tell me tell me if you really don't have an opinion, but like it's just like the more I'm seeing it, the more I'm like, huh, this is interesting because it, it is – a mutually beneficial component of that checkout experience. Like, I wonder if there's something there and like if it maybe will pick up steam in some way. I don't know. Tell, tell me I'm off base or tell me <laughs> no, like it's you're, not, you're right. it doesn't make sense. You're right on the money. And I think that, you know, obviously we would love to understand which of our customers are happy to wait for something and which aren't. To use an example, we work with a lot of clients in the like plumbing and fixtures industry. And a lot of the times, you know, they order four toilets to a residential job site and it's literally going to sit in a client's garage until they're ready to do the project two months from now. And they don't care if it comes in two days or two weeks. And conversely, you have most consumers who want it as fast as possible. And helping customers identify themselves as needing less urgency is incredibly powerful. And as your shipping footprint does get more complex, you're faced with lots of opportunities to balance speed versus cost. And I would argue also customer service. So to take one example, let's say that a customer places an order on your website and it's for two different items. You have one item in stock at a shipping point right next door to the customer. And the only place that you have the other item in stock is halfway across the country. So you now have a decision to make. Do you want to ship each of those line items from each facility today? And now the customer is getting two shipments on two different days, and it's costing you a heck of a lot in shipping, assuming you're paying the outbound shipping for that item that's traveling across the country. Or is this a customer who says, you know what, I'd prefer to get this all in one shipment. I think the location closest to me is going to be in stock on my whole order a week from now. That's a fine waiting period. And you know what, I'll take that dollar credit or whatever credit you're willing to give me to get the whole order a week from now. Now you've saved dramatically on shipping costs because you're not shipping stuff across the country. It's all in one shipment, which to ship 10 pounds on two shipments is a lot more expensive than to ship it on one shipment. And it's great customer service because they get the whole order. To use the toilet example again, you know, if I can ship you five toilets today, but the toilet seats don't arrive for another three weeks, well, I probably haven't really solved your problem by shipping the five toilet bases today. And that's something we kind of thing we see all the time with customers. So as your DC and your store shipping footprint gets more complex, you'll have more and more opportunities to match customers with inventory that isn't quite in the right place, but you do have it. And if customers can help you decide how to, this is kind of order routing is the larger topic we're talking about in a way that optimizes their experience, lowers your cost potentially, prioritizes the demand that really does need to get there right now. That's a really powerful thing. Fascinating. So then to add another level of complexity, how does the expansion of fulfillment options or services kind of play into this? Because we're seeing more and more companies expand their buy online, pick up and store options. They're doing curbside. Some are doing drive through. I mean, there are so many different ways we're seeing companies try to innovate in this area. But I could imagine, you know, you're just breaking down the complexity of 
routing orders, you know, depending on where a person is and where the DCs are. I mean, how do the actual services impact things and what the brand wants to roll out in order to be quote unquote omnichannel? Yeah. I think I mentioned that there's a push to rapidly expand the DC footprint and understanding how it's going to make order management more complicated is certainly part of this. When you are talking about a location where it's possible to do a curbside type pickup, I think that's absolutely a requirement right now in the COVID day and age. So that's wonderful. If you can expand the types of services you offer to customers who are coming to a retail location, probably not as realistic to do that, you know, at a, at a million square foot distribution center, have people waiting in the parking lot. I think that, yeah, to the extent you can give people more optionality, particularly if it's not a huge cost impact to you, that's really powerful. I do think it's important to consider as you're expanding your DC footprint, looking at different shipping options, one of the choices you're going to have to make is, okay, we want to be able to ship more quickly to customers in a given region. I have a retail store in that region. I could build a new distribution center that I own, or I could use kind of another option, which might be like a 3PL, a third-party logistics company that'll warehouse this stuff for me. There are benefits and there's trade-offs to each of those approaches. And so I think it's really important for companies to go into that decision eyes open, particularly with the store shipping option about what the costs are. So to ask a retail location to also effectively become a distribution center without ensuring that you have the staff there and the training and the infrastructure, such as literally the ability to physically move things through the retail location, packaging supplies, all the kind of things you haven't had to think about for. All those costs kind of add up. And usually any of these solutions is also going to have at least some system and IT cost. What we've seen a lot of clients do is rush headlong into omni-channel fulfillment, which to them usually means shipping to online customers from retail locations. And very quickly, the costs dramatically exceed and the timelines dramatically exceed what they thought they would be. So in ascending order of commitment, I think the 3PL probably sits at the bottom in terms of cost and time to market and can be a really good way to sort of test how a geographic market will respond to having a closer shipping point. And it might be the right decision rather than going to a store. Forgive me, I kind of, I took this on a tangent that I'm not sure you were going down. No, no, I think it it is because I think the end game of it all is you want to provide these services for your customers, right? Like you want it to be fast and easy for them, but on the back end, it needs to be profitable and make sense for your business. And I think that's kind of like the tug of war that a lot of retailers are probably navigating right now. I don't know because I'm not there, but (laughs) I could imagine because over the past year or so, like the rapid rollout of these services, like because they had to, right? You said like, this is just the way it is. Like you should be offering these things. But I could imagine like on the back end, maybe like they're also at the same time trying to figure out that profitability side. So I think I think that's kind of where we're going with this. And I think it's fascinating. So I mean, is there anything else that we need to get into to consider like those checks and balances and make sure that it is still profitable and still makes sense for the business on the back end? I guess if we're thinking longer term, there are definitely companies who know they want to maintain a retail presence long term, but their retail stores had a dramatic fall in business. And one way to keep those stores open and keep the people there employed Um, or at least minimize store closures and layoffs, is to shift some of your online shipping business to those stores. So I think my word of caution, I totally acknowledge for some businesses, this was a, hey, look, we know this is not going to be 
necessarily the most profitable short-term decision, but we're preserving a key strategic component of our business by keeping these retail locations in, in place, by keeping these experienced employees, employees on board. And so moving demand, demand around in this rate, there's just so many considerations that you can get into, and that's definitely one of them that I don't want to overlook. Interested in learning directly from innovative omnichannel brands, disruptive DTC players, boundary-breaking tech leaders, and more? You can at the 2022 Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, taking place in Chicago from May 10 to 12. Whether you're looking to strengthen your omnichannel strategy, accelerate your e-commerce experiences, or get inspired by new design trends, we have something for all members of the modern retail business. Join executives from Coach, Foot Locker, Brooklinen, Elf Beauty, and more for one of the industry's most anticipated events in retail innovation. Podcast listeners get 50% off on all passes using the promo code RICE50P07. Better yet, early bird pricing is available until March 12th, so you'll get to save an extra $300. Again, take advantage of these incredible savings by going to retailinnovationconference.com and using the promo code RICE50P07. Do you think that over the next year or so, we're going to be seeing, I don't want to say pressing pause, like retailers thinking more strategically about all of these different components and how they impact the customer and the profitability? I guess I'm trying to understand where where you think this space is going because it's so easy to get lost in like drones and self-driving cars and like all of this like, granted, cool stuff, but like there are so many foundational things I feel like need to be figured out before anything else. Yeah, I agree with that. So I think right now there is still very much the push towards more shipping origin, so more facilities that can ship your product, namely an expansion into stores. That's going to continue to be the trend. People are definitely full speed ahead on that. And for large, complicated businesses, it's a multi-year effort just to get that capability stood up. I think that in the two to five-year time horizon, we're going to see sort of an echo or, or a, a reconsolidation where a company that maybe has five distribution centers serving 100 stores, maybe they chose 20 stores to be really key shipping origins and effectively little distribution centers in addition to being a retail location, maybe those 20 stores move down to 10 or to five in the two to five year time frame as companies really start to grapple with and understand the true cost of this business model. So I don't think it's going away. It's always, you know, there is some kind of a ratchet component here. Once you get addicted to being able to ship to customers and in one day that used to get three day, you're going to want to keep some of these locations open. But I think people will, will have to make some hard choices and, and that will lead to some consolidation. Very interesting. So I do want to go back to one point. I think there's a connecting point here. So earlier you brought up the idea of retailers having to be more transparent and communicate better with their vendor partners, how that ties to kind of that tug of war in demand and lead times on the supply chain side. Is there a benefit or is there a, a tie-in to the conversation we're having now around like fulfillment experience for the customer? I could imagine there is more work to be done on that alignment and collaboration side. So I'd love to hear if you have any closing thoughts or recommendations around what retailers can do to address that side of things and ultimately minimize friction for the customer. That's always the end goal, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, so I've already emphasized how important it is to have good relationships with your vendors and to sort of set the expectation that there's a two-way kind of communication happening at all times. So that's, that's obviously worth doing. I think one of the key ways that we see clients trying to sort of 
work with vendors and help the vendor sort of pri- like I'm in the manufacturer's case, help the manufacturer know like what stuff should I be making to best meet your future demand. And so a customer, even a really large customer that that's actually a pretty big fish and has some market weight shares their sales forecast with the manufacturer. And I would say probably 90% of our clients have done some work in this arena, sort of trying to open up their demand planning process to their suppliers and their manufacturers. And I would say less than 5% have been successful at that making a meaningful difference. So I would be careful about being overly optimistic about how much how much traction you're going to get trying to share information with your manufacturers and getting them to utilize it in a way that helps you. But the place that always will pay dividends is trying to get greater visibility into sort of how their production process works or their own supply chain works, getting them to communicate with you about how they see lead times evolving and the supply situation evolving for key SKUs. That's always going to be worth it and ultimately help your customers by helping you to be in stock when you need to be in stock without holding excess inventory. But I guess the main thing there is just a word of caution around people who have these big ideas about technical solutions or sharing data with manufacturers and hoping that it's going to be some panacea because it's probably not going to be. Got it. No, that's super helpful because I know there have been a lot of conversations around demand planning and aligning on expectations and how the vendors slash brands and the retailers can actually align a little bit better to better the customer, especially as we think about all of these different components. So definitely helpful. But Josh, this has been a fascinating conversation. I feel like if we kept peeling back the layers, we'd probably be on the line for like another four hours. So appreciate you trying to distill it all down for us. But before I let you go, we always try to close things out just by offering a few tips, takeaways. I know you shared some great insight into how you think there may be some, you know, consolidation of fulfillment experiences and how retailers will probably be thinking more strategically about the profitability of DCs and and the services that they're providing, which I think will be really fascinating to see as we move forward. But do you have any closing tips or recommendations for the folks listening right now that want to start taking those steps and want to determine how they can kind of be a bit more, not just efficient, but effective at a business level with their fulfillment strategies? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have some <laughs> great learnings and takeaways for everyone. The one piece of advice I would give to anyone who's in the retail industry, and, and this isn't just a supply chain concept, obviously, it's focus on the customer's experience when setting your internal metrics and goals. So I already brought up the example of companies feeling great that they can get faster shipping to more clients, but then they have this gaping hole in their inventory. And actually, yeah, it ships really fast once we get the product, but people are having to wait a really long time. And that lead time just to get the product dwarfs any kind of improvement we've seen in the shipping time. In instances where there are customer outcomes that don't have a direct financial cost to you, one example could be you know receiving things in multiple shipments or receiving packages on different days for a single customer order. It can make sense sometimes to sort of assign an economic cost that's that's really sort of an amorphous, like a brand damage cost or something where, hey, this was an outcome. A customer waited a week versus waiting a day, even if there was no difference in financial cost that actually would show up on, a, on an income statement. Let's assign some cost internally to that outcome so that we can start to have metrics that meaningfully help us drive better customer service, even in cases where there's no immediate 
top or bottom line impact. So that focus on customer experience, understanding what your customers care about, and making sure your metrics at all points in the organization are aligned on those, as opposed to some internal metric that only the the ops geeks inside your company care about, that would be my main piece of advice for anyone. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because as we were going through our conversation, all of your responses in some way tied back to the impact on the customer. Even as we're talking about things like lead times and you know delays and deliveries, that ultimately trickles into customer service and customer communication. And those have so many layers and, and components to them, like allowing people to access, you know, the status of their order, where it is, but also like fast and responsive service if someone has a question or wants them to make a change in light of those delays. I mean, there are so many possible ways to break down the implications for the customer. So I think centering those best practices around them definitely makes a lot of sense. Josh, this has been a real pleasure getting to know you, getting to hear about the work your company is doing, and of course, getting your take on everything happening in this fascinating world of supply chain and fulfillment. I never thought I would say that. (laughs) (laughs) No offense, but really appreciate the time. Awesome. Well, Alicia, it was a pleasure and uh, thanks so much for your time as well. And to all of you listening to this conversation, if you have questions, thoughts, opinions, we want to hear from you too. All of these chats are part of a much bigger discussion happening in retail. So drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at retail touchpoints, especially if you have a follow-up question for our guest today, Josh. And of course, if you like what you heard, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line on your preferred podcast player. Give us a rating. Give us a review. We love to hear what you have to say. And of course, your ratings and reviews also help us get the word out to other listeners. Thanks again to all of you for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.